And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast late on a Thursday afternoon where most of our time in the Western Conference has been spent kind of towards the top. Some Phoenix, a lot of Golden State, a lot of John Morant doing superhuman things for the Grizzlies who are on the verge of overtaking Golden State for number two. And a lot of it has been spent in the, let's call it, the play-in region with the imploding Los Angeles Lakers, the rising New Orleans Pelicans, and the remains of the Portland Trailblazers. So it's time to focus on the middle of the West, the meaty middle, and that's where we get to the region that is the specialty of, I'm just going to say it, the star of the Friday Hoop Collective podcast, Tim McMahon. How are you? Man, what an introduction. The the enthusiasm, the accuracy. I am doing fantastic, and I appreciate you having me. Am I trying to engender some Windhorst McMahon tension that maybe mirrors some teammate tension that we might talk about in this middle-of-the-pack Western Conference podcast? Maybe I am. Maybe Listen, I am. Maybe I want to see how need... Brian Windhorst reacts to that. Is he going to be sensitive about it? Is it going to cause some passive-aggressive barbs going back and forth instead of the usual aggressive barbs going back and forth? I want to see. Listen, you don't need to engender that. The the one who's really going to get his feelings hurt is uh, Tim Bontemps, who's a sensitive fellow by nature, but you're not even mentioning him. Golly. You know, it's like uh, – Maybe that's on purpose. Maybe well, this is all part of my grand. Maybe this is all part of my grand plan to to have the hoop collective fall apart amid t- 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 dissension and chemistry the problems. Hoop co- and the hoop egos. collective is the Memphis Grizzlies of ESPN podcasts. We are rising and we are built to last, baby. Man, aren't they amazing? The Grizzlies just they just like in all. I was actually thinking about this today because I wrote a little bit about the Grizzlies for my ten things column tomorrow. Just this league is just. Sometimes you sit back and you're like, this is all, it's all so silly. So much of it is so silly. Who doesn't want to play with that guy? Who's pouting over here? Who wants yeah. to have, who has a wandering eye for that guy over there? Who didn't get enough touches last night? And the Grizzlies are just like, yo, we're a basketball team. We're trying to win games. We like each other. We're trying to win. It's it, We're all sort of, a lot of it well, is drafted by that, the team. Yeah, they're, they're, they're winning and they're having a blast doing it. And they're pissing off everybody in the process, uh, which is part of the, the having a blast part. And that's where I can really relate to the Grizzlies. I enjoy pissing people off and, I, and uh, you know, having fun in, in the process. Well, let's piss some people off, Tim. Let's Ooh. start. In the, we're going to tackle two teams with you in the middle of the West. We're going to start actually with the team that's behind in the standings of the teams we're okay. going to talk about. That's the Dallas Mavericks, your hometown team, 37 and 25, 21 and 7. In their last 28 games, mm-hmm. 16th in offense, fourth in defense, just made a seismic trade at the deadline that I actually thought at the time was a, was a a trade that was about flexibility and dumping the elephant in the room. And anything we get out of Dinwiddie and Bertans is gravy. And probably assuming that Kristaps Porzingis is healthy ever again this season, Dallas may be lowered its ceiling a little bit. This season, in exchange for that future flexibility, and then I'm watching a play. I'm like, huh? Yeah. First of all, maybe there is no healthy Kristaps Porzingis, and second of all, maybe that's not true because Dinwiddie's fit right in. Bertans is, you know, hit or miss. He played ten minutes the other night, but this team is playing with like a little more zip lately. They're they're overwhelmingly likely to get the fifth seed based on where everything is now. They have the tiebreaker against Denver, who's sixth. 
What what do we make of this team at this stage in 60 games in like I said they're yeah. they're they're 21 and 7 in their last 28 are are they a sleeper to get out of the west are they happy just to win around where are we You know I I think a sleeper to get out of the west is awfully optimistic at this point um I think a team that you, you feel like there's some good things happening that they're heading in the right direction despite the Porzingis trade being back to square one in terms of finding a co-star with Luca. Um, but look, it's a team that hasn't gotten out of the first round before. But what you know is a in-shape Luca is an absolute superstar. I mean, he's a top-tier superstar, a perennial MVP candidate. He's back to being that dude. You also know he's going to be that dude in the playoffs. He was both of the last two years against the Clippers. You know, and I always say, if not for the best playoff performance perhaps of Kawhi Leonard, of two-time finals MVP Kawhi Leonard's career, the Mavericks probably win that series last year. Kawhi just went crazy uh, in game six. Um, so with with that version of Luka, they're going to have a chance to do some damage. That doesn't – now we'll see what the matchup is. I don't know that I'll pick them to get out of the first round. It looks very likely that it's going to be the McMahon special. Utah, Dallas, we're going to talk about Utah um, the, later. You, The Grizzlies – might end up in that two seed, buddy. Right, but that's still Utah Dallas and Oh, Utah five. Dallas. Oh, 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 okay. I was thinking I was thinking uh well, that's that's very likely. That's very likely. Very likely. I I, I also think they could see the Warriors as a as a 3-6 or the Grizzlies as a as a 3-6. Um you know, the other thing that that we know about the Mavericks is that they have responded well to Jason Kidd. And you know, let's not blow smoke up anybody's butts. When the Mavericks hired Jason Kidd, we were all kind of like, oh, wow. Uh, there wasn't a I coaching it, search. I, I called it the biggest wild card of the season. Is he going to, is he going to, is he going to install this anachronistic all out blitzing defense that undid the Bucks and failed? And as soon as he got fired, the Bucks became like a 60 win team. No, he hasn't. And, but I, I, I called, but, but it was hard to know. And I said before the season, this team has the, if everything goes right, they're my, they're my every year there's like an if everything goes right, this team could make the finals unlikely team. Dallas was was that team for me. But then every time I would get there, I'd be like, I just don't know what this guy's going to do. But keep going because whatever he's done has worked. Yeah, and what he's done is somehow taken this roster that I'm going to say they've got three guys in their rotation that I would, I would say are proven good NBA defensive players, right? Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, and Maxi Kleba. Other than that, they've got question marks or guys who were who have been considered defensive liabilities, most notably their their superstar. Well, schematically, and I always want to mention Sean Sweeney, their defense coordinator, you know, who, who filled in as the head coach when when JK went to uh, protocols. Schematically, they've done a great job of coming up with things, and, and you're much better suited to uh, to discuss the X's and O's than me. But they've also just got buy in up and down the roster. And um, I think, you know, a lot of the the turning of the tides, because they were not good defensively during the season. And, you know, when Luca wasn't in good shape, he was really rough defensively, both in terms of getting back to play defense, um, not arguing with the refs when he was supposed to be getting back, and then just being able to move when he got there. But when he was out, they really, as a team, made drastic leaps forward. And then since he's come back and he's stayed healthy since then, He's fit into that, and 
I think Luca's greatest strength as a defender is the versatility to be able to be hid on several different matchups. You know, what I mean by that is he can defend a, a subpar offensive player at multiple positions. That's We need to call that, there needs to be a verb or a noun for that that is somehow derived from James Harden's name. Yes. That, like, and, that, and it there's needs so to many be... similarities. Both their, their great strengths and their, and their biggest weaknesses between Luka Doncic and James Harden. But Luka's always going to get two through four, not often one, He'll he'll get the, you know the the least taxing defensive assignment, but he has recently been very committed to doing his job within the scheme. You know, being in the right plays, being active. You know, getting a lot of deflection steals, so on and so forth. Dorian Finney-Smith's always going to get the toughest assignment, one through four. Um, and you know, he's a guy who he can go from doing a really good job guarding Steph Curry to doing a really good job. Uh, guarding LeBron James to you know tonight, last night for people who listen to this, he'll he'll be on Steph Curry again. Uh, Reggie Bullock, who you know people early in the season when he couldn't hit anything from three, I mean it was a whew, you know people were like golly another another swing and a miss for the Mavs in good the summer. Good use of good use of golly by the way. I golly. don't I don't ever say, I don't say that word golly. I don't I, I guess I'm from the wrong region of the country. It's just not in my lexicon. Well, it doesn't, but it's. You, and you got it. I just can't say well, it. Like another, that was really good. You know, golly is a good one. Uh, dad gum, dad nabbit. I mean, we got a lot of them down here around these parts. You like that? If you want me to really do up the text you know, for you, you know, rabbit, rat, the rabbit character in Winnie the Pooh. Uh, which now I read you, I was going to say, you love these Winnie the Pooh references. He says Dag Nabbit a lot. And I have a voice for all the characters in Winnie the Pooh <laughs> when we read when we read the books. And my rabbit voice is like this. So I get to say Dag Nabbit, gopher. <laughs> I'm also, my, my kids have aged out of it, but I'm also, you got to come up with the different voices for sure to give the full reading experience. If you're not, do, if you're not doing the different voices... Just don't have children. Like, what are you doing? That's the whole point of reading the books is to do different voices. How are you not going to – Eeyore cannot sound like Rabbit, and Rabbit cannot sound like Christopher Robin. That's not okay. I tell you, only you can go from uh, discussions of Reggie Bullock's fit on the Mavericks to parenting advice. Look, I got a lot of problems. Let's, let's, not, let's not dwell – on, on my problems and stuff, whatever the hell you were talking about but that Bullock, inspired Bullock golly. Is back to being a great three and D fit. Um, and you know, the, it all revolves around Luka Doncic, obviously. And that's the reason that ultimately they decided to move on from Porzingis, you know, fit availability, all that sort of thing. Um, but they they've got pieces that fit really well around him. And then, you know, the guys that got back in the trade, uh, Dinwiddie fills a need for them. They needed another guy who could put the ball on the floor and make things happen. He slid into that six-man role and, and had some really, you know, some real this the recent road trip, he was great. Uh Bertons, I mean, everybody knows, like, hey, if he gets a steady diet of open three-point looks, he'll shoot 40% on them. Now, if he plays once every seven games and you know isn't happy like he was in Washington, he it might sink to 32. I'll but tell you, Tim, he's a 10 to 15 minute per game guy who's making way too much money, but he can help him in spots. I'll tell you, when I was single, if I got turned down by a girl like four, five, six, seven times, 
my confidence w- would take a hit. I wouldn't go back for time number eight. I, I might even just, just, just. Well, just, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're talking about different girls because you can't get turned back now by the same one. Well, it, either one or do whatever it was. Yeah. It, Davis Bertans is just it. He's taking. He can go zero for six. He'll catch the ball thirty feet away. Turn. Not even care that there's a defender right in front of him or that he's not even squared up and just launch it. I'm like, dude, you just got rejected eight times in a row. Just get a beer at the bar and go sit with your friends. But, it's not working out for you. Well, but here's the thing. He's getting guarded 30 feet from the basket. I don't care how many he's missed. That's true. You know? So, again, it's funny because in the game after the trade, it was Luca's second. They played the Clippers in two straight games, one of those little baseball-style homestands. Uh, the, the first one, Luca goes for 51 and they win the second one. He goes for, I was, I think it was 45, uh, and, and they lose. Well, that second game, they got a total of four bench points Four. there's not going to be any four bench point games with those two guys as, as part of that cap. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing. On your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. So let's go back. You mentioned the defense. And like you said, you want to look at this defense and say it's 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 got to be partially smoke and mirrors. Like they just don't have the personnel to be this good. They're the second best defense in the NBA for the last 38 games that are the last 30 games. That's almost half the season. But then, first of all, you watch them. They pass the eye test. They're smart. They play on a string. They don't screw up. They're making the right decisions based on who the other personnel is. And I mean that on an individual, like, granular level. They they uh, differentiate between that guy's a shooter, that guy's not a shooter. They don't make those kind of mistakes. Then you look at, like, their metrics. They don't foul a lot. They force turnovers at, you know, an okay rate. Uh, they rebound well. They don't give up a lot of threes. They don't give up a lot of shots at the rim. Like, they're just – it's just – there's no – there is no weak spot that you can point to. Like, this is a legitimately – Good to very good NBA defense. All right, and, and you know what they have that is pretty rare for an NBA team throughout the course of the regular season? They have a consistent uh, give-a-crap level. Like, they care. 
And I, I, I've honestly like a lot of defense and this ain't to take away from the X's and O's and all that. But if you get guys to care and to take pride in it every single night, you're going to have a chance to be a good defensive team in the NBA. And now, you know, I think as you get into the playoffs, it gets a lot more difficult. And then, you know, I think the, the matchups, the schemes, some of that stuff can, you know, give a crap's not enough. Everybody does during during the playoffs. But during the regular season, buy-in matters. And, and you know, Jay Kidd and his staff have got a an extreme level of buy-in. And success leads to more success. You know, they went on this run where, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they held a crazy amount of teams under 100 points. Yeah. And it wasn't – it was like Bulls, Warriors, Grizzlies. I mean, there were some really good teams, and it's become this huge – source of pride and it, it's crazy i never thought a luka Doncic team especially a young luka team would consider itself like hey we're a defense first team but that's what these guys are and then you know they've got especially you know their, their shooting was terrible early in the season and, and luka was out of shape so he wasn't himself but you know they're they've got enough shooting and luka's just such a supernova that uh if they play good defense, they're going to score enough points to 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 be a team that's going to win a hell of a lot more than they lose. It sounds like a low bar to clear, but it's not at the highest levels. They are not going to beat themselves. You are going to have to beat them every game. They're not going to make a lot of mistakes. They're not going to give you anything easy on uh, either turnovers or bad defense. Offensively, like you said, they're fifth in three-point shooting since January 1st after not being able to make anything uh, in the early part of the season. And look, Luca is Luca's a killer yep. and he's uniquely suited to the playoffs because he's comfortable shooting from anywhere. He can get essentially any shot he wants. He's comfortable passing from anywhere, including unconventional places where you think you have him trapped and he just sort of pivot, 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 that guy's open, hit him. Yeah, or um, he he's driving, he's throwing the blind you know, over the shoulder, ninety five mile per hour fastball hitting. That's the his pass. Ball. He what is that, that pass? Uh, it, I'm actually it's working di- on it. It's directly – it's not even yes. over the shoulder. It's over his head. It's when, directly when backwards. What he started doing also is he'll fake behind the back, take another step, and then deliver it. And he doesn't miss on those. Like he's hitting guys in the pocket. Boom. He, he we should have one. a Luca. We should have a Luca, like a staff-wide Luca passing contest where we have a target and we just have to throw it directly from the back of our head at like a full dribble sprint and just see how badly we would all do if we how ever bad, have and another like, if we ever have another NBA summit then I'm I'm all for that I I you did not I played in the last NBA summit uh pickup game it's actually the last pickup game that I played in oof. I'm going to tell you I'm, well, I'm going to tell you that right now like the back flared up for like 3 days I'm like I'm too old for this crap but I'm just going to tell you this and and old Mac 10 and Nick DePaul and some of these you know dudes in their 30s ain't going to hear this None of those dudes could none of those dudes can guard me. Now, the problem is I'm walking like a mummy for three days after, but I I, I, I ate those guys up like a like a you know, forty something, uh out of shape, you know, much worse version of of, of the Joker. Um <laughs> she's just comparing yourself to a worse version of the MVP. Um Hey, I once uh, I once told Zaza Pachulia because there's a lot of pump fakes in, involved in my pickup game because I ain't leaving the floor. So when Zaza was in Dallas, I said, Zaza, my pickup game is kind of like, kind of like your game. This was late in the season. And he goes, B 
before or after the all-star break i said zaza that depends on the day brother because that's here he was like double double almost got voted in by the by the georgia oh yeah there was the jordans before the break before the the before the k-pop before the k-pop vote for andrew wiggins there was the georgian vote for zaza um the other thing about luca and, and one of the things that's been sneaky this year that i like he's posting up about twice as often this year as he has in the past and that's another one of those playoff weapons for him and I just I just like the way this team is playing without Porzingis they're faster with another ball handler they're more likely to push the pace and my god does this team need a fast break bucket any shots at the rim and they're also just playing like like it's a little simpler just Powell rolls to the rim. They have shooting around him. Powell's catching like three lobs every game. It seems like for dunks, yeah, he's playing. Have... Dwight Powell's had a nice season. It's just it's just cleaner and faster and a little smaller. Yeah. And I just think that for the short term, I just think that's how they should play. Yeah, and if they have Max in there at the five, they can play five out, or he's still capable of being a roller. And look with Porzingis, like we've all we've we've talked plenty about. You know, the passive aggressiveness, the personality issues that, you know, the unhappiness with with him and, and Luca last year. As far as I know, they were fine this year, just like they were getting along. They kind of turned the page at, at training camp. It's just it, it got to a point where obviously availability matters, especially for for a max player. Um, and just the inconsistency of having him in and out of the lineup was an issue. And then. He just didn't enhance Luca, and if you don't enhance Luca, you're not you're not staying very long in Dallas. And so, like they they made the, really the first half of the season, so much of it was about you know force feeding Porzingis, getting him involved, you know, pumping him up, keeping him happy, and he played well when he when he did play. Um, yeah. But you know, all that's like posting up Porzingis and, and cluttering things up for Luca, it's, it's counterproductive. They came to that realization. They moved on, and they and they moved on. They, they tried to trade him to Toronto. And my understanding is their discussions there were Dragic and, uh, and Gary Trent. Um, Toronto, understandably, said, mm, we're, not, we're, not giving yet, we're not giving up Gary Trent Jr. Um, so the Washington thing came together, and the Mavericks basically got to the point of, hey, Financially, it's a wash, but it's it's two smaller contracts that would be easier to move. And, you know, they felt like KP was kind of in the way, and those two guys could fill roles off the bench. And so they pulled the trigger as soon as they found a deal where they didn't have to give up a first-round pick. Um, and a lot of that was just the, the, the fit with KP wasn't there. It doesn't mean Porzingis necessarily did anything wrong. The Mavericks took a huge swing and a miss on him. Didn't work out, and ultimately, that's why I, I do think there's a ceiling on a one-star team. You got to go all the way back, ironically, to the Dirk Mavericks to find a one-star uh, NBA champion. Um, but you know, if if there's a guy who's going to do it, it's a it, it's a dude like Luca with a group. And this was what Dinwiddie was talking about that the night. Everybody on this team understands how they fit. You don't have anybody trying to do too much. You don't Dorian Finney-Smith's not going to stop the ball and, and think, oh, I haven't, I got ISO. Reggie Bullock's not doing that. You know, Brunson knows exactly how he fits off of Luca, and then how he can be the lead guy when when Luca's resting. You know, on down the roster, no, it's a case of a superstar and a bunch of guys who understand how to play off of that superstar. It got to the point where a Brunson Luca pick and roll 
was a better play for the Mavericks than a Luka KP pick and roll because it was less switchable for the defense. Yeah. If you switched, it gave Luka a post mismatch. People were just putting wings on Porzingis. Just to put a bow on this, their new starting five, which is Luka, Brunson, Bullock, Finney Smith, and Dwight Powell, is just absolutely killing it. Plus 51 and 173 minutes. And look, you don't want to take the ball out of Luka's hands. Like, you want the ball to be in Luka's hands, but. In the past, when Dallas had variety in its offense, it was this sort of dull, okay, slow it down and toss it to KP. Now when they have variety, it's more organic. Like Dinwiddie just rebounds and pushes, and yeah. Luka gets a catch-and-shoot three out of it. It just, it just, They run split actions now with Bertans. It just looks healthier and better. So look, I, am I going to— they've always got one other guy at least. Sometimes they play the three guards together, but they've always got at least one other guy who if the yep. ball's— You know, if Luka's got to you know, say they, they force the ball out of his hands, you know, swing-swing or whatever, gets to Brunson on the weak side, he's capable of, of, of creating. Dinwiddie— He's capable of creating. You've got to, you can't just have Luca and, and and four spot up guys or three spot up guys and one roller. They've at least always going to have one other guy on the floor who's capable of creating something off the dribble. And I think that's critical. Look, I, I agree with you. Until they find that number two guy, it's unlikely that they it's 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 less likely than otherwise that they do like yeah. major damage in the postseason. But Luca by himself with a team that makes sense around him is really, really dangerous. Nobody's going to want to play this team. If you tell me they're in the second round and going toe-to-toe with Phoenix, I will not be surprised mm-hmm. at all. But to get there, they would have to go through the team, as of now anyway, mm-hmm. the team that before the season you and I talked about, and I said, I don't think there's a team in the league absent the Lakers, which are as much soap opera as team, that has more pressure this season to make a huge postseason run than the Utah Jazz, who are 9-1 in their last 10 games. Everybody gave up on the Jazz, discarded them to the side, said they've fallen behind the Warriors and the Suns in the Western Conference. It's over. Danny Ainge is going to break up the team. Gobert, Mitchell, and blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? Their two best players came back from injury, and they started beating the shit out of everybody again. They are number one in offense. The difference between the Jazz number one offense and the number two offense in the league is the same as the gap between 2 and 13. They are, however, just uh, 13th on defense, or maybe 12th 12th on defense, I'm sorry. Uh, But obviously Gobert coming back changes that. The Joe Ingles trade did not produce a rotation player uh, on their current team. Nikhil Alexander-Walker is not playing, but Daniel House is uh, on the new version of their bench lineup. Um, And he's playing well. He's playing well. He's shooting 47% from three, I think. Uh, again, they're nine and one in their last ten games. Uh, they just beat the Dallas Mavericks that we are talking about right now. I was there. Um, where do we? But I also do still think the pressure is oh, really real. Yeah, everybody, real. every everybody there feels it, top to bottom. Um, if they don't we, make a if they don't make a playoff run, this could be a transformational summer for that franchise. I mean, it could be a summer of, of massive change and, you know, let it play out and, and we'll get to that point if we get to that point. But those, those everybody there understands that they understand um, the window that they're dealing with and, and some of the, you know, potential things that, uh, that could pop up as soon as this summer is, as uh, franchise changing events. Uh, that's no secret. Um, they also do feel like, look, when they've got, as you said, when they've got their two, Max guys, they're two franchise cornerstones. Whether those guys are going out to dinner or not, they're a damn good team. And I don't think they are, by the way. 
No, well, and listen, every time I talk about that relationship, I get both aggregated and then somebody asks Donovan about that and Donovan, you know, it's just whatever. It's not, I mean, it is what it is. And what it is with those two guys is like, we don't have to be buddies. We can, we can play together and win together. And ultimately that's all that they, that they care about certainly for the rest of this season. And, you know, say what you want about Donovan. You cannot question whether he is focused on right now. You know, he like, He's playing. He's playing really well. He's playing hard. He's playing defense, which, frankly, he was not earlier this season. He's diving on the floor for loose balls. I mean, he's just he's lighting it up offensively. He's getting guys involved. Donovan's playing at an extremely high level. And, you know, you, you rattle off all those stats, 9-1, this, that, the other. It's just – it's. I watched him last night in Houston fart away a lead down the stretch and have to go into overtime to win. I, you know, I watched him blow a, a, a big lead against the Lakers again. Um, you know, I, I watched the Clippers series last year, and obviously there's a lot going on there uh, injury-wise with both Mitchell, Conley missed most of the series. You don't get that excuse when Kawhi misses the, the second half of that series. And so the the Jazz, the, the one thing the Jazz absolutely have not solved this season is small ball. Haven't solved it. They don't have a small ball lineup that is anything remotely close to an option in the playoffs. And, you know, the, and it's not even go bare against uh, small ball. Um, although LeBron certainly lit him up when, when, when Rudy was defending him. Rudy did bounce back and get a few stops against Luka in, in, in the clutch that were, uh, you know, were a big moment for, big moments for him. Um, never mind I what mean, the LeBron, last two minute report said. Le- LeBron hit step back threes in that game. Like, if he's going to hit step back threes over you, like, I just don't know. What you're no, I hear, to I, I, I hear what you're saying, but the, the, it was the Lakers have been forced to go small against the Jazz twice recently, and the Lakers stormed back to win both games. And again, for a team that their big Achilles heel has been small ball, um, those that's concerning. Um, you know, like you're talking about, if they if they face the Mavs in the first round, I don't think Dwight Powell plays much in that series. I think they're. I think you're playing Maxi at the five, playing five out, forcing Rudy to defend three point shooters, and you know Luca uh, Brunson and, and, and Dinwiddie are trying to get in the paint and, and, and create havoc and, and force Rudy to. You know that's what happened against the Clippers. It's not that Rudy couldn't guard on the perimeter. He can't guard on the perimeter if it means that they're giving up layups. <laughs> you know, yeah. The, the Clippers series was not, as we've talked about, about Rudy Gobert's failure as a defense player. He has to guard someone. You can't just camp out in the lane if yeah. there's nobody in the lane. That's illegal. It's against the rules. So you have to be somewhere that's not the lane, and then that leaves you sort of running around. Their defensive collapse against the Clippers was about their poor perimeter defense, which is still the same exact group of people it was last except, year, except for Daniel House Jr. And, and, Look, and I do think he helps a lot. He he helps. I just every time, like Joe Ingles is a, is even this year the diminished version. Of him, is a good, smart NBA yeah. player, good passer, good shooter. I, I watch the Jazz now, and I'm like, man, there is just Donovan has a, to be pretty damn brilliant. That's for sure. Well, there's just like a lot of like I'm looking at their new their new go to bench line. I'm like, Daniel House was out of the league. 
Hassan Whiteside, he's been good for them, but like, am I counting on Hassan Whiteside in like the conference semifinals? That scares me a little bit. Jordan Clarkson is like the ultimate feast or famine guy in the NBA. Rudy Gay has just been in and out and in and out. Then like Trent Forrest is popping in for an extended role now. I'm like, am I trusting that dude? He's made four three pointers all season. He's tough. He plays yeah, good defense. Have he's to convert him off of a two way in the last week. Yeah, of the there, there's just like a the roster. There's a bunch of guys outside their starting five. Where I'm like, I just am I that comfortable with these guys on the floor in big moments? And even yeah. their starting their starting five is really good. It's plus ten per hundred possessions. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Bogey has Bogey's up and down and and Royce O'Neal is up and down. As, as, as some games he scores zero points, some games he scores twelve. His defense is pretty good. I just I there's something that's leaving me a little lukewarm with them, even amid this nine and one stretch. Well, Roy, but, Royce's defense is pretty good, but he has to guard the other team's best player. You know, he's their version of Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, one through four, he's got to guard their best player. And a lot of those, it's just it's asking too much. Like, he's not quick enough to stay in front of uh, some of the best uh, guards. Or he, he's not big enough to to deal with some of the, you know, the the, the best wings. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think he's a guy who he's a very good defensive player. But for them to make a deep run, I think he's got to be great defensively. I'm just I'm really interested because when they're rolling they look amazing and you know offensively they just need to get a lot out of not just out of Mitchell but Conley and Bogdanovich need to give them a lot in the playoffs because sort of the ultimate conundrum about their team is their other max player their other likely Hall of Famer that Rudy Gobert is going to make the Hall of Fame like yeah, people need to sure. get get their arms around that he might be a four-time defensive player of the year after this season and four-time he, All-NBA it, but his usage rate in the playoffs is like that of a Danny Green. Like he, his usage rate goes down a little bit in the playoffs if free throws go down. You just can't give him the ball and ask him to do stuff. So you're increasing the burden on everyone else who can do stuff with the ball. And those guys are like Conley's getting older. Bogdanovich is up and down. I think this team is really, really good. I don't think that there is some like magic formula for the playoffs that they don't have other than maybe what I just said about Gobert not being able that you just can't throw him the ball. Uh, although they they I do feel like they've made a better effort this year to be like, "Oh, he's got a 6-foot guy on him on a switch. Let's give him the ball, let him get fouled." Yeah. Um well, but the the thing is like Gobert is one of the best pick and roll bigs in the league, you know. You Don't don't I, say I, it. You don't I, say it. Screen assist, screen assist, screen assist. Uh, damn it! I don't want to hear about your screen assist. <laughs> but you know, obviously that that's part of it. Also, the fact that he who rolls made hard. up screen. No, hold on, stop. Who made up screen assist? Did the NBA make that up? I don't know, but you know who loves it? Alex Jensen, the the Jazz assistant coach who works with Rudy every day, who's helped develop him from a D leaguer to an All NBA big man. Because it's Even- a way, it's a way to give the guy, the big guy, credit for doing dirty work. Even if the NBA stats people made it up, if it weren't for the jazz propaganda machine, it would just be like a little tab on the end on like one of like 19 columns on the NBA well, stats page. And, and, Nobody would talk about it, but the jazz saw it and were like, there's a way. There's a way to quantify exactly. what Rudy Gobert does on offense. They're not wrong. It's just like it would be nice. All I'm saying is the guy is going to make $46 million in 25-26. It would be nice if I could be like, Here's the ball. Do something with this ball. But that's just not who he is. And by the way, that's fine. He's the best rim protector in the history of the modern NBA, basically, yeah. since the key. He's the best interior defender 
since Hakeem Olajuwon, probably. Well, and and if I'm going to be Rudy's PR agent, I'd say, well, I mean, do something with the ball. He's leading the league in field goal percentage for the third time in the last four years and averaging you know, a, averaging a career mean. high 15.9 points per game. No, Rudy Gobert is number one in my 10 things column tomorrow, and the headline is respect Rudy Gobert. So that, you don't need to the, sell that's me. That's the second biggest honor uh, of the week for him because he was the Cajones Factor Player of the Week on my Instagram account. For stopping Luca, what was it? What yeah. was it? I'm, for, okay, yeah, yeah. For the for those Luca stops, you know, one of which the last two minute report agreed with Luca. But hey, we, we're worried about results, baby. No, I didn't like that one. The last two minute I mean, report, he, he, the last no, two minute did. report, he can shove on that one. He hacked him on that one. He did. He did. Look, all I'm saying is, if Luca did that in the last 90 seconds of a close game, he would be like, "How can you call that? This is a well, physical and, basketball and, game. And, Swallow and, the whistles. Let us play." And basically, what Rudy said was, uh, "Luca's pushing off all the time, so there's going to be some contact." You know, he is, but yeah. that's just, but he pushes off. He's not extending his arms so much. He just kind of burrows in there with his shoulders and his. He just kind no, of he's, burrows. He's he, he's like a tight end, you know, fighting for extra yardage on some of those. Though I mean, he's a big, strong dude. Getting back to Rudy offensively against small ball um you know i was i was talking to, to conley about this and and he acknowledged like yeah hey there are times where we've got to get him the ball and he's got to catch and just go up you know go up strong like he, he ain't he, there ain't gonna be any dream shaking but he's you know because they're the, the part of the issue with small ball is it takes away pick and roll because you're gonna they're gonna switch everything and if you can't punish a switch then you know it it, it negates the bread and butter of the jazz offense um you know, but Conley, to his point, he was like, you know, not to toot his own horn, but the fact that he missed the entire Clippers series except for the sixth game when he was out there limping on one hamstring, you know, that basically put them in a situation where they've only got one guy who can break down the defense, and that was Donovan who had the ankle problem. And he's like, if we've got two guys who can get in there and, and you know, get flat, get Rudy in the dunker spot, we've got two guys who can break down – the defense and his point was like it's not necessarily about Rudy punishing switches, but put him in the dunker spot and it's either late lobs to him or he's got to absolutely dominate the glass. If, yep, if he's got to annihilate the yeah, offense, if, if Conley and, and and Mitchell are getting in the paint, whether it's floaters or, or layups, you know, there's going to be the defense getting collapsed, they're going to miss some of those. Rudy has to feast in those situations, he's got to have some 2020 type of performances. Uh, in the playoffs for the Jazz to make a deep run because teams are going to go small, with the exception, I would say, of the Nuggets, who another potential first-round foe. Obviously, the Nuggets ain't going small as a strategy. <laughs> you're, no. not, you're not taking Joker off the floor. But with the exception of the Nuggets, uh, teams are going to play small against them. You know, maybe, maybe I, I don't know how often the Suns would uh, with Aiton, but Aiton is – you know, Aiton's capable of, of serving as a spacer as well a little bit. Well, we've talked about the Suns as a, as a problematic matchup for Utah. It's been a bad matchup for the Jazz the last couple of years. Chris Paul has always been a bad matchup. Masters for of the Gobert. mid-range. But, you know, I actually think, to your point about Rudy's defense on Luka the other day, he's gotten better and better and better in open space every season to the point that for two or three years now, he's been one of the best isolation defenders in the league, It's period. Funny. I think he can come – just have him – he's fine. Like if you face Phoenix and all you got to do is come out to two steps inside the three-point arc, 
He's fine doing that. Like, yeah. I don't know why you you can't let Chris Paul walk into 16-foot jump shots. And Rudy Gobert is completely capable of not letting Chris Paul and Devin Booker walk into 16-foot jump shots. Yeah, and and you know, I remember we talked uh, going into the season. I, I do think they've got to trust Rudy more in those situations. And and I th- with Quinn, I you know, Quinn's the first one to point out. Like, I'm talking to Quinn before the season. He says, Rudy's our best defender, regardless of, of circumstance. He's like, I don't care if one stop against anybody in the league, I like Rudy's chances better than anybody else on the roster. He said, I don't care if it's Dame Lillard, John Morant, like, you know, pick your guard. But taking away his rim protection has just been so problematic for them. And that's where I wonder, like, with House, you know, I don't know who is House on the floor in crunch time instead of bogey. I don't know. Think about what you just said. The guy was out of the NBA. Yeah, I and know. And now we're talking about him being on the floor in crunch time against and, the and Warriors? And you know what? They had a chance to trade for Daniel House Jr. for nothing, for a top 55 protected pick because Houston was either going to waive him or trade him for – and obviously the Rocks would have been happy to get the salary off the books. Now, easy for me to spend Ryan Smith's money, and you're paying a lot of luxury tax in that case, but they, they, they didn't – they weren't convinced that he could help enough at the time to pay to to give up nothing and pay the tax. And then, you know, he was on some 10-day deals there. He was on a 10-day deal with with New York and they were very fortunate that he kind of was still available uh when they finally were ready to, to to sign him on a minimum the rest of the season, but I do think he's important to their to their play. Oh, there's location. no and he's playing very well. Like, yeah. He's playing very well. Yeah. Look, in in the end I come down here. I think the Jazz are awesome. Could they make the finals? Like absolutely, it's on the table for them. I, I, if if Draymond is healthy and Chris Paul is healthy, mm-hmm. I think the Warriors and the Suns and whatever order you want to put them are one and two still. I, I think the Jazz are a a level, whatever you want to qualify as a level, a small step down from those two teams. That doesn't where, mean the where Jazz are, the Grizzlies. are. Grizzlies are right there with the Jazz. I think I think the Grizzlies are in the same the same bucket as the Jazz. Where are the uh, Nuggets with a couple of uh, key cogs back? The Nuggets we're going to talk about in a minute are the big I don't know sleeping giant of mm-hmm. the NBA because they're still winning a lot of games, notwithstanding what the hell happened against the Thunder last night. Listen, but I the, still those I OKC still have blue can sneak up on you if you don't have a good G League scout report. The Thunder is a tough matchup right now. I still put Phoenix and Golden State. Uh, above Utah, that yep. doesn't mean Utah's bad. That doesn't mean we're hating on the Jazz. That just no, means like you know they what? might. It doesn't. It doesn't even mean they're not going to make the finals. It just means if you're asking me to pick who the best teams in the West are, that's how I'm ranking them. Oh, that's you're going to pick the teams that you've seen do it. You've seen this Golden State core win championships. You've seen this Phoenix core, uh, really the same Suns team for the most part run through the West last year and go to the finals. You haven't and seen... And they're better. They're better yeah. this year. You haven't seen the Jazz get out of the second round. And so it is very much a believe-it-when-you-see-it situation with this Jazz team. And if you don't see it this spring, you probably... I'm not going to say probably. You, you, I don't know that you'll see it ever with this core. If you don't see it this spring, you know, uh, buckle up, partners. Tim McMahon, uh, thank you for your time. We will get back to you on these teams and more as the season goes along. Uh, you can listen to Tim carry, like like he's got a grand piano on his back, carry Brian Windhorst and Tim Bontemps on the Hoop Collective uh, tomorrow, Friday, uh, as he does every Friday. Uh, Tim McMahon, thank you, sir. Man, I appreciate it. It's always great to be on here, and especially when you're taking shots at my teammates. 
um, because I'm not a good teammate, and I agree with you 100% on that. See, you know what, though? This this is the test. I do this. So if, if they don't if they don't text me like, hey, man, I heard what you said, that means they didn't listen to the Low Post oh, podcast. Oh, like, like, like when I took a shot on you on the Hoop Collective about your little faux hawk that you had earlier this year? And I, and what did I say? I said I heard I heard what you said. You thought you thought you'd sneak it past me that no, maybe no, no. I maybe that I wouldn't maybe I wouldn't listen. Ears. That was maybe. intended for your ears that had no hair anywhere close to them at the time. Yeah, my my ears look really big when I get a haircut. It's it's unfortunate. All right, Tim, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from $25 and under to $100 and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, now let's talk about the sixth place team in the Western Conference, a team that really nobody is talking about because I guess their own fans can barely watch them on television. And they're kind of in a state of suspended animation with their second and third best players injured. Everyone's just sort of like, let's wait and see if and when those guys come back. Maybe next year. My assumption has been that they're playing for next year more than yeah. this year. But here they sit at 36 and 26 with last year's MVP playing at an even better level than he did a season ago to talk about the Denver Nuggets, whatever they are, from DNVR Sports, the great Adam Morris. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Zach. Thanks for having me on. And the term I've been using is purgatory. I mean, this is what it feels like the Nuggets are. They're just in purgatory. It's not that bad, not that great. Hard to look forward to anything at the moment, but um, but here we are. I think it's it's frankly whatever is between is a level above purgatory, but you get to yeah. like order whatever food you want or something like it's pretty good purgatory <laughs> 36 and 26 in the West, a five eighty winning percentage. That's no joke. They're eighth yeah. in offense, 11th in defense. Um, so they're on the edge of being in the fabled top 10 on both sides of the ball, even if they would be barely accomplish that. And I just don't know kind of, how to process process any of this. Jamal Murray gave an interview to Complex Sports yesterday where he more or less said, I don't know if I'm coming back this year. If I right. feel like it, I will. If I, if I don't feel like my body's ready, I won't. MPJ, we'll see. The way he played at the beginning of the season was really, really bad and not like he had played last season. What is just, I guess... What? How are you evaluating this season, and what have you what have you learned about this team that is useful going forward for when those guys come back? Well, it is really hard to evaluate this team in terms of this season, and, and you kind of made reference to that. It does feel, in many ways, like they are playing towards next season, but there there have been some very important takeaways. I always think back to Jonathan Charks wrote an article three or four years ago when he was projecting, how do you build a team around Nikola Jokic? And he compared it to the 2011 Mavs where maybe one guy in that case, Dirk, in this case, Jokic is good enough to carry a bunch of defensive minded players on offense. And then you kind of surround them defensively. This was sort of a proof of concept for that this year. 
not so much in that Denver had great defensive players, but they had offensive players that were just especially reliant on him. And to your point, they've been a very good offensive team. They've survived. They've been a very good team overall. Um, and so I think that's one of the things you learn. And Aaron Gordon fits in very well alongside him. Uh, they, they relied on him even more this season, and he's been able to handle that, that extra usage or, or whatever you want to call it. So that, I think those are the things I've really learned about this team. Um, yeah, AG, I, I wrote about this a couple months ago. I, I think all the noise of this season, all the sort of like, what are these lineups? How many of these guys are like playing real minutes for the next season's Nuggets or for the, the Apex Nuggets? Aaron Gordon is a tremendous fit now. He's down to 33% from three. Last night, last night they lost at home to a Thunder team, <laughs> Adam, that played the following lineup in the fourth quarter of a real actual NBA game. Trey oh, Mann, no. who, I, who I like. He will be in yeah. 10 things tomorrow. Teo Maladon. Lindy Waters II. Who? He's an attorney, I think, from Louisiana. <laughs> Lindy Waters II. Vite yeah. Krejci and Olivier Saar. That was a lineup in an NBA game for the team that won the NBA right. game. And Aaron Gordon missed a lot of threes. But, yeah, he fits defensively. How, he, they've had him guard number one ball handlers all season, and we can talk about the cascading effects of that. Offensively, he just plays really well off Jokic as a cutter, as a post-up guy when he gets that that small guy stuck on him on, on offense, the same guy he's guarding on defense. I think he fits better than Jeremy Grant fit. I, I think that trade is, is a win. And it, that sort of exchange is a win for them and a good sure. move. Uh, other other than that, I just sort of watch this team and it's like Monty Morris having a nice season. They're starting five: Monty Morris, Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, Jokic. I'm like, okay, it's they're they're right. making hay. And lately, you know, the biggest I guess all season we've talked about this team through the lens of Jokic. Like, it's is Jokic right. the MVP? Is Jokic not the MVP? Why do I have to bring up Jokic on TV every time I'm on as an MVP <laughs> candidate? Um, look at the on-off splits. They're plus 10 with Jokic, minus 10 without Jokic. It's all been about Jokic. I kind of want to talk about the team. I just, sure. don't know how to, I just don't know how to do it. Lately, they've got this bench that in the last two weeks has kicked ass of yeah. Bones Highland, Austin Rivers, Bryn Forbes, Jermichael Green, and Boogie Cousins. So let's talk about Highland and Forbes because those are the two most interesting pieces in that group for me. What have okay. we learned about, about those guys? Bones Highland is so intriguing. I mean, especially for a guy that was taken 26th, his shot has has been inconsistent this year, as you would expect, but his confidence in that shot has not been inconsistent. He is a guy that can miss a lot of shots, but not be rattled. He can be a guy that went up against Davion Mitchell, who is one of the best, you know, in my opinion, one of the best perimeter defenders already in the NBA, hounding him 90 feet from the basket the whole game steal from here, steal from there. And it doesn't matter. He just keeps going right at him. So he's been a guy that has a great first step, uh, really good length that he just has the ability to get into the paint. He kind of almost reminds you of like a Tyrese Maxey in some ways. It's just this guy that knows how to get to the spot he's trying to get to. Um, and Denver really hasn't had that. That's one of the things in the Jokic era. When you talk about all the good players or offensive weapons you had, you ha they haven't had a lot of guys that can just say, I'm going to the paint defense needs to rotate and bones Highland, I think projects to be one of those guys. He already is that guy, but I think going forward, he's a guy that can be very intriguing in that way. If you have Jokic spacing the court and dragging the big out, what does it mean if you have a guard that can just get around one line of defense, whenever you want? That's why Will Barton has always seemed kind of more important to the nuggets than, than he probably should be. He's a good player, but they just need that North South zip. Even Jamal Murray is sort of more Bob and weave, yep. feel it out kind of guy. Step back jumpers as great as Jamal Murray is. 
And that's what Highland is. And Forbes, I, I couldn't believe that they got Forbes for so little. And I've said this many times before. This roster is dying for a knockdown shooter who can shoot off movement to play off of Jokic. Just screaming and dying for one. That's why MPJ is such a good right. fit because no one can even touch his shot. He's 6'10", shooting threes. And I and Forbes is shooting 45% from three, I think, is an yep. He's played really well. I actually like the lineup which is the starters except Forbes in Jeff Green's spot. I kind of like that line. It's a little small, but I think that's a dangerous lineup. I, I don't know if they can bring him back or whatever, but he's a good fit for their team. He just seems to know what to do. I mean, he knows his role. He's been a surprisingly – I don't know if he's a great passer, but he's he's been able to connect, you know, swing passes or this or that and just kind of fit into the style of offense that Denver thrives off where you kind of have to – after the thing gets broke down, you have to swing it around the horn or what have you. But the shot making is, I mean, it really stands out, especially on this roster that just has inconsistent shooting. Bryn Forbes is that guy that you can stagger those minutes. He comes in sometime halfway through the first quarter and he just becomes, okay, you occupied one one defender. You're playing four on four with the rest of the court and it's so valuable. And it makes me think, you look, Michael Porter might be on the horizon. He is, to your point, another one of those guys that I just feel so confident if he gets an open three. We haven't seen Jokic play a lot of minutes with two guys that are saying, hey, let's occupy two defenders now and see what happens when this becomes a three-on-three half-court game. Yeah, and 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 you watch this team. It, I, I can't believe how good their record is. I can't believe how good their starting five has been because on nights like last night when it's not rolling and they don't get some transition yeah. buckets or whatever, it's just like nobody other than Jokic can shoot. Even Monty Morris is having a good shooting season. It's not like he's going to chuck up eight threes a game. Right. It gets right. a little it gets a little stagnant and he's just kind of looking around for dudes to pass. He's like Jeff Green shooting 31% from three, AG shooting 33%. What's Barton at? Barton's mid 30s, mid to low 30s, I think 35 maybe. No Same one, spot as always, yeah. Yeah, no one is scared of Will Barton's three-point shooting and then you look up and it's like they have an offensive rating at 122, the big fella in the middle must be freaking <laughs> amazing. Have we done an investigation by the way into why Jokic why are Jokic's arms always pink and red? Is is he getting slapped all the time? What's we need like a 2000 or a deep dive on that. Every time I watch him, I'm like, did someone just slap him? What's going on? It's a running joke in Denver. Like he's always bleeding from his arms. It's not just slapped. He's always got three or four cuts uh, and, and open wounds uh, with blood dripping down his arms. But no, their offense has hummed, and that's part of kind of what I'm getting at here, Zach. Is I, I think Denver is vulnerable, obviously, in a playoff setting, as we saw in Phoenix last year. Is when teams really zero in and say, okay, let's make them do this. That's where you really need a Jamal Murray and in theory, a Michael Porter to, to expand his game. But in a regular season, when you're just trying to say, do you have a player or, or, or an action that can force the defense into uncomfortable spots? And Jokic has been so good at that. You mentioned the, the MVP conversation. One of the things I look at with Jokic, I think he is an elite two-man uh, two game player. I mean, you pair him with one other player. He is going to be elite with almost any player. He has an elite two-man game going right now with Monte Morris, with Aaron Gordon, with Jeff Green, with Will Barton, with uh, guys on Bones Highland. You just pair him, whatever it is, all different styles, and he just figures out how to adjust to sort of make that two-man game work. Yeah, my thing with Jokic, I I'm already tired of talking about the MVP. I, if you want to vote for Embiid, I might vote for Embiid. The guy's been just ridiculous, and he's, he's great. an incredible two-way player. Um Giannis is up there. DeRozan, uh, fine. It, it's not – he wouldn't be in the top three for me. He's he's maybe fourth. Morant might be fourth. Like, you can vote for any of those guys. You just got to say Jokic's name. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> just say his name. Just acknowledge he's, it. Yeah. He's in the NBA. 
He's breaking records. His stat line is like 27, 14, and 8. Just just like just just to make me happy. Say his name. That's all I'm saying. Just put him in the discussion. He's not even in the discussion sometimes when we talk about it. And Zach, I think it's so neat though. I mean, we're at this point this year this season or maybe this era where there just isn't a best player like there was with a Jordan or with a LeBron all these years you've got a lot of really good players that on any given night have that title and I, th- I think that's what's so cool about it well one of them is coming back tonight in Brooklyn and uh, that's that's very exciting one thing about the Nuggets that I will say is they're up to ninth in three-point rate the percentage of their shots that are threes I think that is worth digging into because that is way higher than they've been in the past. Like a couple, even just two seasons ago, they were like bottom five. They took a lot of mid rangers. What's what's going on there? Is that yeah. how in, and how intentional is that? And how much can it carry over to when they have their real team back? So I think one of the stories of, the, of this year, and it's it's funny because it plays into last night's game against Oklahoma City. The teams that have had success against Denver are the teams that one have a lot of length. And yes, those names you mentioned last night were not household names, but they're all really long and athletic. And what Oklahoma City did last night is something New Orleans has done and had success with and the Clippers have had success with, which is to throw really long bodies out and step stack them all just right at the paint, not in the paint, but just stack them all there and say, we're not giving up open shots, but we're going to run out. You're going to get a, a mildly contested shot from, from somebody with length. And what Denver doesn't have, which I think leads to these three-point shots, is they don't have guys that can attack a closeout and really collapse a defense. And so what you end up getting like last night is if they're going to give us the shot, do you have an alternative if the shots aren't, aren't falling? Do you have that guy that can go around one or two defenders and finish through traffic? And I just think Denver has, doesn't really have those guys. Jamal Murray is that guy. He's one of those guys, but they don't have enough of them without him. That's interesting because you tend to look at three point rate and say more, more is better. More is a sign of healthy offense. More is a sign that when this team gets Murray and Porter back, they're just going to be bombing away. You're framing it as it may be a product of a structural weakness of the team actually. And they're not a great shooting team. That that's really interesting. Well, I think a lot of this is so many people have talked about the structure of the team in terms of like, is the roster not complete? You add Michael Porter, well, now those three-point shots probably are going in at a lot higher rate because even contested shots, he's going to make them. You add Jamal Murray, and now you have a second guy who at a pretty elite level is going to be able to finish at the rim and collapse the defense and do this. So The ro- the roster was complete when they made the Aaron Gordon trade. <laughs> right. that, the, yeah. That's the end of the yeah. – I mean, you can tweak the bench and you throw right. – you exchange a Jermichael Green for a Zeke Naji. By the way, Zeke Naji – we should probably talk about Zeke Naji. I was on Duncan Robinson's podcast at the very beginning of the season. He asked me, give me a couple under-the-radar guys that people haven't heard of that you want to see more of this year. And Zeke Naji was the first name I said. Dude, that dude is good. He should yeah. like 50% from three. He switches across every yeah. position. How much, of a, how much of a future does he have in Denver with Aaron Gordon and Jokic at the four or five? I mean, Aaron Gordon's kind of playing a hybrid forward with Jeff Green. But is he is he like a core piece or is he just like another guy that – we're probably going to have to flip him for a veteran somewhere along the line here in Jokic's prime. I definitely don't think he's a core piece. The question is, can he become a core piece? You know, he has, as you pointed out, two elite skills. He's just a phenomenal shooter. His, his balance, everything. It looks beautiful. It goes in. Um, and he has good shot selection. And then he's a great perimeter defender. But what's interesting is, you know, at six foot 10, six foot 11, I don't know that he's a great interior defender. Usually when you have a mobile big, you think, okay, they're going to be the, if they're mobile, they're also have the interior. 
But with Jokic, I wonder if that does actually fit. If it's okay that he's a little weak in that one area, but if you can get him switching on screens and out on the perimeter guarding guys, Jokic is very good at playing inside on the paint. So I'm very intrigued about his long-term fit in Denver. He got hurt and has missed a handful of games, and it was right at the moment in time when he was starting to play his most minutes. So I feel like there might be a little bit of an unfortunate setback just in this was his opportunity and it got cut short a little bit. And now they, like I said, this unit of bones, Austin Rivers, who's been fine Trolling. for Denver, Bryn Forbes, Jermichael Green, and Boogie Cousins is is destroying teams in the last couple weeks. Now, I don't really believe in that lineup long, long term. I still would like to see a little bit of staggering to the degree it's possible. They don't have a great stagger guy that's not Jokic, so I don't know right. how they're going to mechanically do that. Uh, so, But, yeah, maybe he's lost his minutes for this year. So let me ask you this. Defensively, you know, that's been the side of the floor where for this entire Jokic era, it's been can they get good enough defensively to make a long run? And the incredible thing about that Utah series in the bubble was through four games, you wanted to conclude like, right. my God, this is totally broken. Like they can't right. defend anybody. Then Gary Harris came back, things stabilized. They went on to make a run, beat the Clippers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they're 11th in defense this year. Um, that's good enough, frankly, if they're going to be the kind of offensive team they can be. But my question is, have they decided like what, like how they want to play? Because even within games, sometimes Jokic is up at the point of the screen, like he's preferred to play in the past really aggressively, which always makes me nervous, but it's the way they've generally played best. And then sometimes he's back in the paint, like a drop back center, which has only worked it's like it's only been so so because ball because he can't jump so ball handlers go bad like how do they want to play what is this defense yeah i think they want to play up and and the hard part is is nicola has played more minutes than anybody in the nba over the last three seasons and i think playing up you know that takes effort it takes mental effort but it takes a lot of just covering ground and i think what you're seeing right now with Jokic is just that you know, he, we're what 60 games into an 82 game season. And I think he's, it's just a conservation of energy because of how much uh, effort that takes. And by the way, we saw this last year against Phoenix. I think the drop in, against Phoenix in the sweep last year had as much to do with, yeah, Yoke just doesn't have it. He's got to do everything on offense. He's been carrying it. I, let's just see if Chris Paul misses any shots. And of course he did not, but Denver wants to play up your point though. And this is kind of what I was getting at earlier. Gary Harris saved that series against the Utah Jazz. He really did. Literally on the last possession of the game, too, (laughs) when he poked the ball away from Donovan Mitchell at the end. And they, they, you know, obviously replaced him with Will Barton in the starting lineup. And Will Barton's a good defender, but he's not a shutdown. I do think the final form, when Michael Porter, Jamal Murray, all those guys return, I think the final form needs to feature an elite perimeter defender at that shooting guard spot, even if it sacrifices a little bit of shooting and playmaking and everything else that Barton brings. So their version of Matisse Thibel. Maybe. I mean, I, 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 I think in today's day and age, you're going to go through one or two elite guards en route to the finals out West. And does Denver have that guy right now that can shut them down? And do they have a system in place that could shut them down even if you don't have that guy? I think the answer is no. But we're kind of robbed because they were rolling last year when they the five games that they actually did have their, their fully healthy lineup. Well, that was that's what I want to zoom out for a second. As we've talked about, they were going to be my pick to come out of the West last year after they made the Gordon trade and after I saw a two- or three-week sample of how that team looked. like, oh, my God. Then, you know, hell happens. Should we still regard I, – I don't even I, – I, I, you know, it's so easy to say, well, I just want to see how Porter and Jamal Murray look, blah, blah, blah. Like, should we still regard this team 
as that team? Are we just assuming that next year? I mean, this year just seems it seems pie in the sky, frankly, this year to believe they have a title. I agree. Them. But are we assuming next year's team? It's like full go. We have a championship level team. I, to me, there's just almost no question. And part of this has to do with that moment in time when we did see the fully healthy lineup. Nicola is a significantly better player right now than he was then. I mean, he's gotten a lot better off of the move. Um, he's more confident as a one-on-one player. He's more assertive most of the time as a one-on-one player. His defense has got, he's gained confidence on that end and his conditioning is even better. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, in close games, he's playing 37, 38 minutes and finishing as fast as anybody. Um, so I think he's a better player. Jamal, we'll have to see how he comes back. But to me, those pieces just fit. And Jokic just has this way. This is why I'm such a believer in him. He has such a way of getting everybody to, you know, figuring out how to play with an Eric Gordon, play with a, a Jamal Murray and everybody else. So to me, no question. Next year, I think Denver's going to have a fantastic roster. I'm still skeptical about that shooting guard spot uh, to see if there, there's probably a, a another move they can make to maybe shore that up. But the other four guys to me are, are there's no question. You did. It's funny you mentioned assertive with Jokic. It, it you don't see those stretches anymore of the season. Like there used to be those games. Where it was like, dude, can this guy shoot? Like he hasn't shot the whole. He just hasn't shot the ball in a quarter. Like, can you shoot? Yeah. And that doesn't happen anymore. I don't know what clicked with him, but he just he used to have these things where it's like, does he even want to? Does he want to do anything out there? So it was funny. Somebody asked him after the he had a game saving block. I must publish. He's got two. He's got, some, he's got two clutch blocks. He's year. got three actually. I don't three. Yeah, he's got three three game saving blocks. Uh, I thought this it was season. two. What are the three? <laughs> Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot for the yeah, games. They are, but, He's yeah. got three game-saving blocks, even though he can't jump. <laughs> even though he can't jump. But he had a fourth one last year against Zion um, at the end of the season last year. But he was asked, would you rather have a game-winning block, a game-winning assist, as he, you know, he's had a couple high-profile ones this year, or a game-winning shot? And to my surprise, he said a game-winning shot. I think that the odds on that were, were – it was such an upset. I think everybody would have guessed a game-winning pass. But I took note of that because I think – Jokic has always been a good scorer, but I think a reluctant one, like a, a very willing passer. I kind of think something has changed in him and that he's enjoyed becoming a, a volume scorer over the last two seasons. And so, yes, it's an aggressiveness, but I think it's also sort of like a mind frame of who he is now. He's a volume scorer. Well, I mean, it goes without saying that it's better for their offense when he is trying to score because then everyone's got to converge on him and there's just nothing. You can, I mean, no one can guard him. There's nothing you can yeah. do with him in, in, in the post. Um, yeah, I, I guess I guess I'm assuming the same. Um, are we just chalking up Michael Borden Jr.'s? What did he play nine games this year, and he shot horrible and looked really bad? Are we just chalking that up to his his back was already acting up, and and yeah, uh, we'll just wipe it away. So I, I I have been told that the injury, you know, he first started feeling it in the preseason, and if you go back, he played the first preseason and then sat out the second one, even though there was time in between. So he was, I believe, injured and experiencing some of these symptoms early on, tried to play through it and just didn't have it. But even watching him, you could see he couldn't catch the ball. There was a loose ball that would roll at his feet. He couldn't go to pick it up. So I think there's no question that was throw out the stats from this year. I don't think they count. And obviously he's got he's got that big extension uh, kicking in. So they really need him to, to be healthy. Last thing. Can you explain to me how Jokic is like a top five defensive player in all these advanced metrics? Because I, I and I am a Jokic true believer. I look at those numbers and I'm like, number one, Rudy Gobert, number two, Nikola Jokic, number three, Draymond Green. I'm like, that doesn't right, make right. any sense to me. How, how, what are those numbers seeing? How is this possible? 
I actually do think I can explain this. And I, I've said for years, I think Jokic is a, as an elite defensive player with about 95% of defense. He's really bad at the 5%. And when you get into a playoff series against the Utah, they can exploit that 5% over and over and over again, make him come out on the perimeter. But the reason I think it shows up so well in the regular season, even defensive rating or the advanced metrics, he's really good at making players shoot from five feet or seven feet. And so much of basketball is getting guys to the rim all the way to the cup, this or that. If you watch him in pick and roll, you'll notice how many times either the rim roller or rather the, the ball handler ends up going for the floater rather than at the rim. And it's because of how well he sort of plays the passing lanes, how well he fake steps up and then recovers or fake recovers and then steps up. And he just forces all of these three foot shots to be five and six foot shots. And over the course of the season and even over the course of a game, it usually adds up to just cutting the margins down enough. I think I think you just nailed it. Um, he's a very smart positional defender. He's obviously great with his hands. So, like, on a fundamental level, he gets a ton of rebounds, he gets a yeah. ton of steals, and he doesn't foul. So those right. he only averages, like, two and a half fouls per 36 right. minutes, which for a big guy is a very small amount. That alone is going to inflate your advanced numbers with all these all the ways these advanced metrics calculate stuff. But even – I was just watching last night. Even, even in last night's game, it stood out to me. It sounds ridiculous to say, but one of the things he's good at is not jumping. So like a ball ball handler will be coming toward the paint and he'll be in a kind of a miniature one-on-two situation where his guy's behind him, but he's got to cut off the drive and he'll just stop literally four feet from the rim, right at the edge of the paint. The ball handler will, will throw some kind of fake at him or whatever. And he won't jump. He won't, and he'll just stand there with his arms out and be like, you got to do something. I'm not giving you anything. And so he holds his ground, stops short. And the guys are like, all right, here's a six foot floater, which to your point is not an easy shot. It's not an easy shot. And it's funny. One of the guys that we is a Jokic killer. Nobody would guess this. If you don't watch the Nuggets. I'm so, I'm so so excited for here. This is Rashawn Holmes. The master of the six and seven foot floater shot. And I think it's because Jokic is always forcing guys into that zone. Don't give him the dunk. Don't give him the layup. Force him to that one. And he just loves that shot. So over the years, he has really put up. So if you go back and look at his game logs, he's put up some big totals against Denver all on those little seven foot shots. But Well, they should trade for him to be their backup center because now they have Sabonis and he's he's injured right now, but he was barely playing before he got injured. He's really good. Like they should. That's a trade target. Just get him on your team. He might be too good, honestly, for that role. I really like Rashawn Holmes, but uh, but I, I'll, I'll tell you what—it was a talk in Denver here amongst some of the uh, the the Denver faithful. Get Rashawn Holmes, so you don't have to play against him. That I, that is remarkable. <laughs> that that's a, these Denver Nuggets diehards. Can you explain to me why the people can't watch the Nuggets? What is this? I can't. I don't have the bandwidth to like actually go. What, what the hell is happening? It's it's why it's the wildest thing. And I think it's going to become more and more popular. You know, the Crockies own altitude, their own regional sports network that covers, by the way, the number one ranked Colorado Avalanche, as well as this Denver Nuggets. And when their contract ended, Comcast, who provides who's the cable provider for over two thirds of the Denver metro area, said, yeah, we're not going to carry you anymore or we'll, we'll carry you. But on this massive, massive discounted price. And so there's been this lockout, basically, this dispute between those two. So in Denver, if you want to get the Denver Nuggets, you have to you have to bundle and, and, and do all these different like jump through a bunch of hoops. Some people, they can't even get it. So unfortunately, the largest cable provider in town uh, is just not carrying them. And that's why you see their numbers are just so low. And it's we're going on, by the way, three seasons of I think Jokic. I put this on Twitter the other day. I think when it's all said and done, he'll be on the Mount Rushmore of Denver sports right there with John Elway. 
You can say Joe Sackick or who else. Jokic is going to be there, and we're three years into his prime, and it has been blacked out in Denver. But there's no question he's going to be on the Mount Rushmore. He already is on the Mount Rushmore. Though. He's, he won the MVP. I mean, he's got a long way to go in yeah. his career, but like obviously he's going to be on the Mount Rushmore. It's just, I, you know, the fans always lose. These companies it's yell so at each true. other and, and fight about money, and who loses the fans? And so, like, and you know, I, I feel bad for all the people who are working hard to put on a great product. The Denver Nuggets right. broadcast is really good. Um, really good. Katie Wingy, Vic Lombardi, Chris Marlowe, Scott Hastings, they do a really good job. And there's for there's 20 people behind the scenes to put on a product like that. And, and not enough people are getting it. Right. No, it's so true. They have, in my opinion, one of the better ones. They do a lot of really cool things. They made a great documentary a few years ago. But to your point, it, it, it's a it's a shame because the fans are the ones that are that are missing out. And, it, and it's a it's a shame because Denver's a great city and a great sports city. Jokic is such a great star. And to kind of be robbed of him, even conversations I have with uncles or this or that, they're not they're not seeing him. There's Oh, I hear about him, but I, I don't get to see him. And it, it's a shame. That is a shame. All right. Adam Morris, you do tremendous work at DNVR Sports. Um, and I'm still coming to that bar at some point. I'm going to come to Denver and we're going to go. We're going to go out drinking at your bar. But can't wait. Uh, <laughs> um, you are as good as it gets covering your team. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk about the fully formed Denver Nuggets next season. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Zach. 